0: the provoke podcast brought to you by provoke media and produced by the international broadcast specialist Marketeers.
1: hello everyone and welcome to the provoke media podcast i'm maya pavinska sims the amir editor of provoke and i'm joined today by the very lovely john brown founder of activism agency don't cry wolf one of the first b corp pr agencies in the uk and one of the most knowledgeable, passionate, and articulate people in the PR industry when it comes to the climate crisis and all things environment and purpose. JB, welcome.
0: What an astonishing introduction. Thank you. Can I get you to introduce me in all meetings from now on?
1: Yeah, I can just come along. That's fine. I'll just, I'll just go ahead of you as one of your entourage.
0: Just announce my arrival at wherever I am.
1: Uh, yeah, shall I throw glitter in front of you as well? Environmentally friendly glitter, obviously not. I was
0: going to say that's full of plastic. Please, don't.
1: <laughs> non-plastic glitter. Where in the world? <laughs> are you? Where are you today?
0: I am in um, my wonderful village of Mevagissey in Cornwall.
1: Oh, how lovely! Right by the sea.
0: Right by the sea. I'm currently looking uh, actually not towards the sea, towards the little farm opposite us um, and watching cows sit down, which means I think it's going to rain or they're lazy.
1: (laughs) One or the other. You moved down in lockdown, didn't you?
0: I did. I was one of those people that went, oh, do you know what? I'm going to like move towards somewhere where I have adored and loved with my family for uh, over a decade now, and um, it was the best decision we've ever made.
1: Fantastic. Do you not find it doesn't hinder you at all not being near London anymore?
0: I, I think the opposite, actually. It frees me up. Um, you know, I'm, I'm meeting really interesting people. There's a there's a bubbling creative scene um, down here, which is still quite raw and edgy but also super collaborative because of how small it is it's not sort of quite as nose turny-uppy as you might find in London and also like sustainable development around here is sort of off the chain so um, it actually helps bring a bit of a different perspective to the work that I do um,
1: back in the big smoke. Yeah fantastic I'm a West Country girl myself and I went to uni in Bristol so I know that bit of the world pretty well and it does have a, a different world view.
0: It does. It does. Very much so, yeah. And there, there's a lot that we can learn from these, this part of uh, the beautiful country that we're in.
1: Um, so tell me a little bit, obviously we know each other pretty well, but tell me a bit and our listeners about your personal and professional journey to becoming an activist and an advisor on comms around the climate crisis.
0: Um, so, I mean, I've always been a pain in the ass, which I think is... <laughs> Uh, it's an important um, quality to have, and I've had a kind of healthy uh, sort of distaste or for for um, kind of unchecked power and, uh, and 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 lies. I guess um, you know. I remember writing letters when in my teens to sort of China. I don't know who in China, sort of saying, you know, I think you should stop these human rights abuses and things such as that. Um, and I was then warned that I could be sort of blacklisted and, and that kind of spurred me on I think I think I sort of like collecting those sorts of accolades but um it you know, said so I've always kind of had it in my blood to be a bit of a pain in the ass against authority that I find to be sort of unchecked or um or, or operating in a in, in a sinister fashion so that's kind of where the activism side of it comes from in, in terms of sort of the, the the environmental side of things you know um I studied environmental science and conservation, uh, conservation biology at uni. You know, I've kind of kept up the uh, the writing and reading and learning around that. Um, from doing a master's now in sustainable futures, through to kind of uh, being certified um, uh, in like impact reporting and understanding the impact of um, of businesses and how they can communicate effectively in a climate um, crisis. So. You know that that kind of the activism, I guess, is more personality. The other bit is like a fascination with the natural world and kind of preserving it, I suppose.
1: And how does that had that feed into what you're doing at Don't Cry Wolf? Um, I think
0: I have. Whilst I'm a sort of activist by nature, I also believe in. Just facing the truth as well, and one of the things which I find quite interesting, you know, I when I say I'm an activist, people immediately imagine me sort of gluing myself to an M25 bridge or something along those lines, or um, you, you know, throwing orange paint at things. And whilst there's certain elements of this which I support, I'm not kind of. I found it quite interesting that I wasn't. I didn't actually find a home in this world of, um, I don't know XR, for example, um, because I fundamentally be, believe that business can be and should be a real force for good and for change and in the wake of devastatingly incompetent governments mm. never more has it been important for, for organizations to step up. So for me you know commons has always been um, where I've been kind of creatively challenged and fascinated. Um, and and, and on that sort of uh, the commercial side of things, working with organisations to actually help them tell a different story, perhaps address certain issues in society, perhaps even provide either a solution or a bridge towards a better future, is kind of the great experiment which I'm sort of undertaking with Don't Cry Wolf, which is, you know, can we do really strong creative work whilst also having, uh, you know, a a positive impact um, and helping businesses kind of Navigate towards a more sort of regenerative economy.
1: Fantastic stuff! I know you work with some really amazing clients who who, who love working with you, precisely because you do. Uh, you don't just believe you; actually, know your stuff. I hadn't realised you had quite so many qualifications. I must admit, in that area, so um it's good to know it's not all bluster, JB's
0: <laughs> Ah, oh, well, I mean, you know, you didn't ask me where my masters was from. It could have just been from the sort of the offie down the road.
1: <laughs> the masters off the internet.
0: <laughs> <That's it. laughs> uh, and I'm still undertaking that now anyway so it's so you know we'll wait we'll wait until I get the exam results.
1: Do you, you have to do a dissertation for that?
0: Yeah dissertation and um, like a, a, a heap of work it's a research master's at Exeter University um, so it's pretty intense it's pretty full-on um, but I kind of wanted something you know I've done various different kind of courses and sustainable development certifications but um, I wanted something a little bit punchy Uh, and I can't just have Stephen Waddington wandering around with his PhD I need to um, make sure that that that's that's kept in check.
1: You're so competitive I love it um, so the reason we're having this call this week is it's COP 27 in Egypt. The United Nations Climate Change Conference happens every year. Leaders from political business and nonprofit worlds get together with the aim of trying to tackle the climate crisis, which is clearly kind of getting worse as as we watch. Um, my first question for you on this is what are these COP events actually for every year and are they making a difference?
0: So this, this, you know, that's that's a bit, that's the big hairy ass question, isn't it? You know, um, what they're there for. You know, if you look back at the history of COP, which was, it stands for Conference of Parties. Um, you know, it was born out of uh, an initial summit, the sort of Earth Summit in Rio, where you know the, the UN kind of decided, actually, do you know what, this we kind of need a sort of framework with which to address environmental issues climate issues etc and this is one thing I always try to remind people like this isn't a new issue you know it was in the 70s scientists were talking about the influence humankind has on the climate and the potential damage that this could cause so it wasn't until the 90s that we decided to have a nice UN conference around it and then COP was born out of that which was essentially to be a year-on-year Kind of gathering of parties, a gathering of these wonderfully influential, incredibly powerful people that you just mentioned, um, to tackle this, to address this, to communicate, you know, issues around the environment, and, and and really, you know, its effectiveness, it it's been one hell of a roller coaster ride. Um, you know, it started off pretty kind of weak um, in terms of the. Uh, commitments being made it wasn't really until cop 21 so t- you know it took 21 years and that's the sort of famous paris climate agreement uh, there was the kyoto protocol before that which sort of had 35 odd countries kind of agree to certain um uh, targets of greenhouse a reduction in greenhouse gases gas emissions but it was cop 21 where everyone just absolutely pissed their pants with joy because it had, you know, 190 odd countries, including the US and China, which were largely kind of uh, dismissive, or certainly not uh, not willing to put too much blood on the line when it came to making commitments. But COP 21 was the time when we all went. Actually, do you know what we need to uh, keep? Uh, will limit the rise in global temperatures um to two degrees or below two degrees and ideally 1.5 degrees and that was the big sort of ratification lots and lots of countries coming together to say yes this is our commitment and then fuck all's happened yeah and and i can't stress this enough you know there's if you look at cop and then look at our global emissions it's just an upward curve of global emissions so you know you then ask the question you know is, is 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 cop effective i guess you know without it it could be a shitload worse um is it effective in reaching the or sort of even remotely coming close to uh, hitting the targets that we have all kind of jumped up and down with joy that, that, that we're making these commitments. No, it's been absolutely not. And, you know, COP26 in Glasgow um, was very clear that we needed to renew and refresh our commitments if we stood even a remotest chance of being under Uh, two degrees of warming and so far out of all of the people that said yes or all the countries that said yes you know we need to kind of come back with new proposals i think it's around 23 that actually have Mm. for cop 27 so you know it's without it would we be worse off probably possibly with it are we making the necessary changes to address a climate crisis of epic proportions, um, probably not. We're certainly not being honest to the commitments that we've been making.
1: It's really interesting, isn't it? It's, it's a, it feels to me like it's a very useful awareness raising exercise, but like all the, all the worst PR award entries, it kind of peters out when it comes to actual results. And I, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Have
1: you been, did you go to Glasgow last year? I
0: sort of hung around the fringes of it, sort of wafted about like a bad fart
1: what's the what's the experience like the fringe is always better than the than the you know main action anyway isn't it yeah i mean it's
0: it's hard not to be sucked into the bubble right and it's like you know people making big commitments and talking a really strong game um I think what was interesting last year is the discussion around Actually, we need to sort of build up some resilience for what's coming, which is a marked difference in the conversation. So previously it was all right, like, you know, well, for a lot of the time, it's about how can we avoid, how can we lower, how can we cool the earth, how can we reduce our emissions? Actually, we're now starting to talk about how do we build up resilience and how do we uh, adapt to what is coming down the line, which is a different you know and that's a different chat altogether, and it's an important one. You know, well, I'm going. I, you know, and, and I don't want to sort of be one of these people that kind of upsets everyone listening to this. But we've got to stop talking about 1.5 degrees because we have no fucking hope in hell of hitting that.
1: Yeah. um
0: You know, we need to. You know, the, the, I hope COP 27 is going to be the time when we admit the fact that, you know we're not going to hit 1.5 degrees we're probably going to go over 2 and we need to work out a way in which we're going to handle that because that that has uh, impact on millions of people's lives and way of life and we need to work out how we're going to get through that
1: do you think we've had the blinkers on for too long and the messages have been you know almost too much and for too long in the direction of avoidance rather than preparation <sighs> Um, yeah. And I think,
0: yes, I do. Actually, I think there's been a, I think there's the commitments of this nature and this bloke on this big global nature generates apathy, in my opinion. So we sit back and we think, well, COP21 solved it. You know, we, we made these commitments. Um we're forgetting that actually, like you need the action alongside it. Um, and I think we've kind of, we've talked a really strong game about 1.5 degrees. And then we've talked an even stronger game to reach that. We need to be net zero by 2050 um, without really kind of going, well, actually that's probably impossible Mm. at this stage. Um, I mean, it's certainly impossible with the complete fuckery that's taking place on a sort of geopolitical perspective um, and the sort of kind of this some desperate need to actually, um, uh, increase our kind of capacity in fossil fuels you know that's like it, it really is an impossible And we need to have that honest conversation now um and whilst i greatly admire and i do think that there's the right message around um the uh, typical activist groups that you're now seeing sort of the no stop oil and uh, sorry no stop just stop oil uh groups um and, and, you know, they're, they're ultimately right. If we had stand a hope in even kind of coming close, we need to stop. It's just from a reality perspective that is so, you know, we're more likely to reduce our emissions because of a meteor hitting our earth, I think.
1: Do you, well, that's, you know, that's an interesting alternative scenario. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you... I, I,
0: I, sorry, I was just going to add, my, and, and the, the, the apologies to interrupt you, um, which um, I'm sorry, I, I anyways. One of the things that I do think that we have um, messed up on as communicators is that we spent an awful lot of time, and I've just kind of fallen into this trap Just now, painting an exceptionally grim picture of what will happen if we don't do this, Mm. Um, rather than actually presenting the wealth of opportunity that we would present all of us if we did do some positive action, if we did bring about a more regenerative economy. And that goes from, and and I can't stress enough how many elements of society it touches, from a more inclusive um, approach through to more jobs, through to better security, better health care, because less pollutants in the atmosphere, you know you, 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 there will be an, an intrinsic difference, especially in inner cities, to air quality and things such as that, which kills millions of people um, you know, every year. We focused enormously on all of the catastrophe that is coming our way if we don't hit these targets and not painted a strong, clear and more evidence-based image of what the future looks like if we do do some positive change and this is positive change that will genuinely impact across different socioeconomic bandings and we've done a shit job of communicating that and whether that's you know Greta Thunberg um, through to the, the, the the climate activist movement what they have not done is to unify people behind the positive uh, results of a regenerative fairer greener economy and instead try to scare the shit out of us as to what would happen if we don't hit things
1: yeah fear is a surprisingly bad way of getting people to change their behavior isn't it i mean it didn't work with the cigarette advertising um i it just doesn't it doesn't work it's too much i think it's just as human beings it's too much to To deal with sometimes, isn't it that big kind of the world's on fire piece? It's easier to just sort of get on with your day-to-day life and not engage with it at all.
0: It's conceptual, right? And and this is the problem. If you're able to, if if you're saying to someone, well, project yourself into the future for a sort of you know, twenty-one hundred is when we're expecting to heat hit over sort of two point five degrees now, and you know, this is the all of these you know incredible sort of stats that that that, that you're that you're going to go and that you're going to see. You know, I know twenty percent of uh insects are going to have their um uh, their, their geography what the, the, the amount of land that they can roam in reduced by 50 percent and that has enormous enormous impact on you know pollination for example yeah. how the how the hell am I going to get my head around that if I'm struggling to earn 20 quid in a day
1: yeah
0: now if you say to someone wouldn't you like an extra fiver in your pocket uh, if we were to able if we were able to move to a more regenerative economy perhaps with let's say clean tech as part uh, green tech as part and parcel of that economy and you're able to work at a higher more highly skilled job retrained and producing something that is going to be a benefit to the family but also a benefit to the wider world as well wouldn't you like an f- extra fiver in your pocket here's a way in which we can get there mm. you suddenly switched the narrative to being much more present um, because someone can relate to having a fiver in their pocket extra fiver in their pocket today and you give something that is actually meaningful on a personal level to them. I I, I love bees. I can't relate to them on a personal level, <laughs> but and, and, but you know I can relate to someone on a personal human level who's
1: yeah.
0: struggling to make ends meet.
1: Given that the narrative and the storytelling and the comms has been confused and ineffectual up until now, if we look at like where we are now in 2022, from now on, what do you see as the role and responsibility of comms professionals in helping to address the climate crisis
0: um i think it's it goes back to this uh commitment to communicating um an organization or a client or your boss's role in ushering in a newer fairer greener economy and you can do that from a product perspective and talk about circularity, reuse, repair, things such as that. You can do that on a sort of macro-industrial scale and talk about jobs and wealth creation. Uh, or you can do that from a sort of scientific um, sort of perspective and r- discuss things like biodiversity protection or um, or even cool shit like extracting carbon from the atmosphere and and all these magnificent things that, 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 that people can talk about. I think it's about finding your positive story in your positive role and the stance that you can take to paint a clearer picture of what a regenerative economy looks like and to help communicate that in as simple and meaningful way as possible to your average Joe on the street so that when they turn up to a voting booth not just when they buy the shit off of you but when they turn up to a voting booth they're perhaps voting for a government that is on that same path as well.
1: How much influence do comms professionals in-house and in agency really have over I mean obviously you can find the right story to tell for whichever organization you're representing but how much much influence and power do comms people have to to kind of educate their their clients in in understanding that the narrative needs to change and not to focus on what they've been focusing on thus far um
0: (sighs) a lot of that depends on the individual really mm. if you want it I think it's there um and I think if you one of the most powerful things that you can do from a commerce professional perspective is to say yes or no yeah. and I think if you're presented with an idea that you know is intrinsically wrong or uh you're given a brief that is fundamentally communicating Something that is just not right, not correct, not true um, it's within your ability to say yes or no at that point um, and I think we are st- and, and I think we, we can have the power to say, well no, but here's another way or no, and these are the reasons why no um, and I think we don't do that enough. I still don't think we do that enough. I think we kind of we don't pause for breath and really examine something and think, actually, is this the right position to take? Now, as we see more and more case studies of organisations, you know, whether it's sort of know, someone like Unilever through to that kind of darling of this world like Patagonia, showcase how you can both be an incredibly successful organisation as well as sort of improve your um your role within society uh, it becomes easier to to kind of have those higher level discussions and say actually should we be going down this route instead but you know fundamentally this this comes down to like who you're working with especially from an agency's perspective and who you're working with and what they're doing and what their role is in the world Um, if their role is to create more damaging products and flog as much of that as possible in the short period of time that they might have in existence um then i question why you'd take them on as a client
1: yeah i mean there there is that i i remember seeing some research that you presented earlier in the year as well about more and more comms professionals pushing back against requests could look like greenwashing
0: yeah i think over half have seen greenwashing campaigns or around half have seen uh, had requests for greenwashing campaigns and uh, I'm, you know, this is from, um, the PRCA misinformation, the Climate Crisis Action Group, um, strategy group, and the, you know, the report that we released, um, when I was working in it, with it, within it at that time, um, you know, highlighted that there was, you know, there was this sort of desire to push back, that, um, you know, over forty percent believe that they'd seen some, oh, sorry, over sixty percent, I think it was saw some. A client's desire for bandwagoning so jumping on a bandwagon without really any thought or care or consideration being given um but and yet for the most part the, the majority certainly of the professionals that were interviewed said that they were comfortable pushing back on that however they also highlighted that they felt, felt that their knowledge needed to be improved in order to do that yeah. uh, and there's steps that people can take you know you've got to get you, we've got to get to grips with this discussion on a more meaningful basis you know there is carbon literacy training that you can do for 100 quid um, that at least gives you a foundational understanding of what we're actually talking about in fact the prca has a magnificent um uh, training course that we worked on when um in the misinformation group where it, we're, we're partnering with the royal meteorological society to give foundational. Sort of knowledge on the climate on, on the climate crisis from a sort of scientific perspective um you know same knowledge that or the same course that um uh meteorologists were going on to so you know there's stuff out there to improve your knowledge and I think when you when you prove that improve that knowledge you can have a more forthright conversation a more confident conversation and by that you probably can influence
1: more just kind of going back to that education piece so many agencies say they're focused on purpose ESG the EV environment obviously now but how how equipped and knowledgeable is the PR industry currently in your view to properly advise clients um
0: I think we're not with I I have very very mundane basic conversations for most of the time Mm. um you know from my personal experience um we we're not even scratching the surface Mm. as the 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 depth of conversation that we need to have um and also we're jumping to such basic conclusions you know I'm still seeing like a lot of chat about uh, well you know we've we've um We've improved the way that this, you know, doing another campaign that says, "Oh, we've, we with every five quid that you spend, we're going to plant a fucking tree," you know, or something along those lines. And you know, this is we are so so far beyond that. I don't have a problem with trees; I like them very much. I think they're good things. Yeah, um, but we're, you know, we're still operating in that kind of fairly shitty territory of trying to communicate that that you're by you're somehow being a better human being by buying this product because a tree is going to be planted and in 40 years time it will remove one ton of carbon but we're not communicating that bit we're just trying to make a very very crass sort of drawing a very crass line between a tree being planted and you buying a product Mm. and we're still in that territory and that's fucking disheartening Mm. to be honest with you. You know, we should be talking about poverty. We should be talking about inclusivity and diversity. And we should be talking about regeneration and circularity and soil and things such as that. And we're not. We're talking about planting a tree.
1: Or bamboo coffee cups. As I... Fucking
0: bamboo coffee cups. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and actually, do you know what? This is This is such a challenge for me to say because... I can't tell you how much I love um, David Attenborough, but one of the challenges that we faced was after sort of Blue Planet, there was this welcome wave of people being plastic conscious, right? And it was, and it was like, my word, that, I mean, the power of comms is right there for you to see, right? You know, that uh, heart-wrenching image of that sea of plastic and turtles with their heads stuck in plastic and various other bits and pieces. And I was like, my word, this this is, this is has penetrated the human consciousness, right? We've, we've, you know, the general public are now behind this, but we stopped at buying a fucking bamboo coffee cup. We didn't look deeper into the issues. Mm. We didn't question why that, that that was being created. We didn't look at different models in which we could uh, reuse some of that. We just went, oh, I'm going to buy a bamboo coffee cup and, you know, and I'm going to buy an Anya Hindmarch fucking Sainsbury's bag. <laughs>
1: there's the it's a short skip and a jump from being simplistic as well to actual misinformation isn't it
0: yeah and you know misinformation unlike disinformation is not you know, it's not shared or propagated in uh sort of intentionally or with a, with kind of malice it's done because it's sort of yeah from a simplicity perspective it's sort of like oh yeah well this is true and, and you know well, actually one of you know, misinformation as a whole you know we always I always kind of get, get asked like you know, Is misinformation a problem in the climate crisis? But and I sort of come back with this in you know, June 2022. So, June this year, uh, notice how I had to work out whether I was in that year or not.
1: <laughs> yes, I know what you mean.
0: Um, but June this year, um, at King's College um, sort of released some research into 12,000 people across various U- European countries
1: to understand from the general public what they believe. human influenced um hang on hang on a second i lost you like one minute ago your sound dipped out
0: oh am i back
1: you're back you're back now can you go back to the the king's college thing in- yeah
0: yeah yeah so, so june june this year king's college uh, released some research um which sort of uh, highlighted something quite interesting and this is this is where misinformation is and it's around the it's a sort of consensus um, or people's uh, perception as to what the scientific consensus is that um, human-caused climate change is happening. Now, the actual number is 99.2% consensus. So from an analysis of scientific literature, there's a 99.2% consensus that, you know, human-caused climate change is happening right now. In the UK, the belief was that there was about, 65% 65% consensus in the scientific community. So an astonishingly different number. Yeah. And this is about consensus in the scientific community around whether it's even happening, right? We were the lowest country out of, I think it was like Britain, Poland, Norway, Italy, Germany and Ireland, I think, with the, with, with the, with the countries. And we, you know, we were the lowest scoring average estimate. 65 percent was the was the agreed was the average estimate in terms of scientific consensus this is i mean that is you know misinformation personified right it you know that there is even a sort of we haven't even solved the issue as to whether there's scientific consensus that this is even happening
1: yeah that is concerning sorry it's fairly concerning isn't it that kind of gap
0: it, I mean, it, it, it's, it's deeply alarming. And, and when you add disinformation into this, obviously, from a disinformation perspective, those that are lobbying for the status quo, that are preying on identity politics um, and populism, look at those numbers and think, wicked, we've got a route in here. Mm. Um, and that's where you get the, the really sort of um, sinister communications emerge and you know um, I have a deep profound hatred of uh, comms campaigns that focus on an individual's um, carbon emissions right it really pisses me off you know um, the, the the idea that a something like a BP can suggest to you Maya that actually you should focus on your carbon emissions, um, you know, here's 10 friendly tips to reduce your carbon footprint is, should be shocking to everyone that there's that sort of comms taking place, that huge organisations are suggesting to you as an individual, why don't you reduce your carbon footprint? Now, I'm not suggesting that people shouldn't look at how they live their lives, but your carbon footprint is point naught to the power of eight, so eight more zeros, three percent of global carbon emissions. A fossil fuel company, you're, at, you're the average energy industry is about a third. Hmm. So you know, pr- putting that on our shoulders during a cost of living crisis, during a crisis around education, healthcare, whatever it might be, and then also saying, but wouldn't it be nice if you just spent an extra 50p so you could buy a note? a more environmentally sound washing up liquid is fucking insane. And it's about, you know, people, they say, well, you know, consumers should vote consumers. I hate that. I'm starting to hate that word as well. Like citizens should vote with their pound. No citizens should vote with their vote. And do you know what? I um, would, I think we would see a markedly different world if, we saw less people invest in bamboo coffee cups and more people tick the right box in a voting booth.
1: What do you think of PR agencies who work for big oil?
0: Um, I think the ones that transparently say that they do and you know are quite happy to take the cash and crack on. Um, I mean, I've got to have an enemy. Um, what I find appalling are uh, agencies That talk about their impact reports and their ESG standards and their new group for um, looking at diversity and equality, and then take on briefs from fossil fuel companies um, or for improving the reputation of Saudi Arabia. So, like, I don't give a, I don't care if you are a big agency or an agency going, do you know what? We work in the energy industry, we work with fossil fuel companies this is our approach take it or leave it but this is this is the way that we're going what I have a problem with is Edelman sticking some shit out there to talk about their uh their ESG practices setting up a diversity group and then going and shaking the hands of Saudi Arabia and various different fossil fuel organizations that I have a problem with
1: yeah it's a big contentious issue at the moment there's there's a lot more calling out these days though, is not there isn't there There is, but I mean, uh, you know,
0: at the end of the day, they're probably sat there going, you know, looking at Twitter and counting their cash. So, you know, I guess like for every tweet I send um, making a stink about it, um, they're probably buying a Rolex.
1: Uh, well, maybe Rolex will come to all of us, JB, if we are good citizens in the world and and uh, and do good work in this area. We can. Back- there we go. We That's go. the
0: message. Rolex, I'm here for you. Um, um, if you want me dripping in gold watches whilst fighting the climate crisis, um, then you know I'm. Uh, who am I to deny?
1: That sounds That's like a whole whole new Marvel superhero right there. <laughs> john is there is there any way i mean you've you've your your idea of what would be a more effective narrative and better storytelling a better messaging is probably one example of this but is there any way of actually feeling hope rather than despair about the way we're heading with the climate um
0: (laughs) this is a long dramatic pause um i think we can feel hopeful in some of the recent political polling that we're seeing. Hmm. I'm acutely aware that you know the but we're talking at the point in which midterms haven't even been kind of counted in um, in the US. I think there's a there's a change. There's perhaps a change. There's perhaps perhaps. The ever so slightest idea that we are opening our eyes a touch to um the sinister populist cult that we find our found ourselves in and you know you could look to from um to brazil's recent elections um, through to even the sort of sense that in the uk there's a kind of a real need now to kind of have some stability and some some proper kind of uh, action and we're seeing that in the in in the, in the polls so i think that we can take hope that we're perhaps awakening from what i think has been a bonkers um kind of sense of of, of direction and that will improve our chances of resiliency and adaptability when it comes to the climate crisis mm-hmm. i think anyone who's clinging on to 1.5 degrees is going to be sorely disappointed yeah. and we need to come to terms with that um, and, and we need to come to terms with that really fucking quickly um, to, to, to it, so that we can start putting some cash and some effort behind um, getting through it and adapting to it. Uh, but I th- I'm hoping, I am hoping that with new waves of generations coming into voting age, entering the workplace, who are more, far more acutely aware of the and real real threats facing us yeah um that we'll start to see that sort of change
1: well i hope you're right i think you're probably right um on that we shall see um, i your closing thoughts jb what have you learned about yourself personally and professionally over the past couple of years since the pandemic began if you want to link it back to climate then great if not just tell me what you've learned um
0: What have I learned? I have learned that even my resilience has a threshold and a kind of a limit. And actually, um, you know, I've always been fairly cynical and dismissive of, of stuff that I've seen out there, you know, on the social media side of things. And even I needed a break from it all, in all honesty. And I think unplugging and spending a bit of time reading stuff that is not in 140 characters um, and far more researched and nuanced and interesting has been has had a profound impact on me which is kind of part of the reason why I decided to enroll in masters and and go back into academia is because you you realize that it's that, that, that there is really good quality work being done and and investigating that has has been a breath of fresh air Um, and that also above all else thinking like a human being and nurturing that empathetic side um, whether it's in a campaign or in the way you're leading a business or just in the way that You've you're going about listening your day kind Podcast of life to actually by does reward you in space and produced so, by the international broadcast you know, in is, is more critical now than ever before
1: yeah, true words JB as always it, it's been lovely talking to you, it always is I really admire your uh, eloquence and sweary eloquence um, <laughs> <laughs> your frustration and and passion and deep, deep knowledge of this. And I, 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 I urge you to carry on being a massive hairy pain in the arse.
0: I know of no other route to my life.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much, John Brown.
0: Thank you so much.